The following sermon is a ministry of Hilton Head Presbyterian Church. For more information, visit us online at hiltonheadpca.com. And last week we talked about the most difficult thing and the most precious thing that we have uh, to give away, uh, and that is ourselves. When Paul said uh, to the Thessalonians, he said, I didn't come with just uh, words of the gospel. I didn't come with just a good theology. I I came with my very life, and I gave you my very life. I shared with you the most precious thing uh, that I have. I'm not trying to hold Jeff and Becky up. But they're willing to give the most precious thing they have, and that's their lives. To say, hey, we're willing to give a couple of years and go down there and do. And you don't have to go and cross uh, the sea. I heard one time that a missionary is not one who crosses the sea, but one who sees the cross. And so uh, it's us who are so taken in that way with God uh, that we're willing to live our lives in an extravagant generosity to others with our very lives. We were challenged within Uh, Sunday school today to talk about we are placed here for a purpose. We live here in these communities for a reason. And for the people of the Old Testament in Jeremiah when they were in Babylon, that God sent them to that city and sent them to that place that they would be a blessing to that city and it would flourish because of their flourishing and that he would prosper them so that they could then prosper the city. That's a little bit of what we're going to talk about today. And we're going to step into some areas that are uncomfortable. For some of you who are visiting and that you have been around maybe, or maybe this is your first Sunday uh, back uh, for a while, uh, then you're going to walk away maybe going, I knew it. It's just like any other church. They talk about money all the time. For those of you who've been around since I've been around, and I'm pushing uh, a year and a half of coming down and being here, uh, you've been going, I've been waiting for him to have that sermon well, a year and a half, I think, is a pretty good amount of time to wait uh, until you have the money sermon and the wealth sermon. And, but the fact of the matter is, it's just stuff. We've already talked about the difficult things. We've talked about where's your source, where are you plugged in, where are you finding life. Hopefully, you're finding life in Jesus Christ and that he is the spring of living water that you're going to and constantly being refreshed by the overflowing of that water into your life. And from that, as it flows out of you, uh, you're a blessing to those who are around you and and that you also understand that you go and you're grafted into the true vine in John 15, uh, that you are there and now from you pulses life just flowing out of you and you bear fruit naturally because of your connectedness to Christ and so we know our source and then we understand that given our source and giving all that's coming out of us we then go what's our life it's just our life I loved how Jeff framed it we're just blessed enough to have been born here how many of you got to choose that you were born into the family you got born into yeah none of you sorry So why didn't you get born into the third century Manchuria where they never heard the gospel? Why didn't you get born into Haiti or last century? God, for whatever reason, in all of his incredible mercy and brilliance, had you born into the families in which you were born, in the time in which you were born, uh, into the country in which you were born so that you would hear the gospel and that you were here today. And what you have to do at that moment is be several things, and one of which is incredibly humbled and grateful. And then to say, I didn't set this destiny in motion. I haven't really done much. I've just taken the gifts that God's given me, and I've gone forward. And now he's going to say, and he's going to ask and challenge us on some things. And so here's the best way for a pastor to ever preach about money. That's let the scriptures do it for me. So now if you want to get frustrated 
there's this guy called Paul. Um, he's in heaven, and, uh, but he's the one who wrote most of the New Testament. And these are his words coming, if you want, from 1 Timothy chapter 6. He is uh, training a young pastor, the seasoned veteran apostle, church planter, traveler, uh, poet and philosopher, now has young Timothy with him, and he's challenging Timothy in his ministry, and he comes now into chapter 6, and we're going to pick up at verse 11, and he says, but as for you, that is Timothy, as for you, Timothy, O man of God, flee these things, flee the things of this world, pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness, Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things and of Christ Jesus who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession to keep the commandment unsustained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ which he will display at the proper time, he who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see. To him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. And you're going, oh, I can't wait for what's next. He is setting it up. It's big and it's huge. And the next thing that he wants to teach Timothy is this. Now, as for the rich in this present age, charge them this way. What? He goes right from this doxology and praise of the glory of who God is and his majesty. And he says, oh, now I want to talk to you about a particular issue that you're going to face within the churches that you are going to establish and the churches in which you're going to minister. And that is... As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future. And, they, and that they may take hold of that which is truly life. O Timothy, guard the tr- deposit entrusted to you. Avoid the irreverent babble and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge. For by professing it, some have swerved from the faith. Grace be with you. This is God's word. May he add his blessing to the reading and hearing of it. I was talking with my good friend, Todd Cullen. Todd's the pastor at Hilton Head Island Community Church just around the bend uh, from us. We were spending, Todd's in a Bible study with me and some other men, and um, it's not a pastor's Bible study, by the way, it's guys from our church, and Todd's there, and I was telling him this week as we were spending some time together that I was going to be preaching on this subject, and that I was going to be looking at this passage, and he said, oh, you need to go listen to Andy Stanley from a couple of weeks ago, he knocked it out of the park, and I was like, Awesome. If I do that, I'll have absolutely no original thought uh, after that because he's so good. But uh, I wrote down some of my thoughts, and then I went and listened to Andy uh, talk about this. They're in the middle of what they call a Be Rich campaign where their church wants to raise $5 million to give away, uh, to give to agencies and ministries all around the Atlanta area because they figure those things, those agencies and, and groups can do it a lot better than their church can. So they say, we just want to be rich in generosity to these things. 
And this is a passage that he used. So I'm going to use uh, a bit of Andy Stanley's outline, and especially his introduction uh, this morning as we come to it. So if you were to go to iTunes, look at Andy Stanley from two weeks ago, you're going to go, I've heard a lot of that before. So I'm just making sure I don't get in trouble with anybody here. But hey, if someone does it really well, let's listen to them. Here's the problem with this statement. As for the rich in this presentation, let's just stop there for a moment. As for the rich, most of you guys turned off your ears. You went, I'm not rich. I don't, I don't feel rich. Most of us, is, that's what this statement is, is I don't feel rich. And you could probably go back to a time when you felt rich. I felt incredibly rich in the seventh grade. I had a paper route and I had a lawn mowing business. I was flush with money and had absolutely no debt. I felt rich in my little world back then. I felt so rich that I bought my father a gas grill because he couldn't afford a gas grill and I gave it to him for his birthday. I was like, this is awesome feeling rich. But then as I've grown, I don't feel rich anymore. Maybe it's because of mouths to feed and other things. But most of us would say, I don't feel rich, or we don't feel rich. We're not rich. Well, let me just tell you a couple of things. If you have uh, an income within your home of $50,000 or more in your home, you're rich. You're of the top 4% of wage earners in the entire world. If you have ever been talking on your iPhone while standing in line to get a new iPhone, you're rich. (laughs) If you have ever driven your car to a car dealership, given them that car, along with more of your money, and driven out with another car, you're rich. If you've ever stood like me in a closet full uh, of clothing this morning and gone, there's just nothing here to wear. I can't wear this shirt again. I think I wore it recently, and the people will wonder if I have such a limited wardrobe. If you've stood there and had those kind of conversations in your head, you're rich. Isn't that one? Do you, you realize uh, that we have absolutely more than we ever could have asked or imagined? There was a book that came out a number of years ago, and it asked the question of Americans who were making $100,000 or more, and they asked this question. They basically said that only one-third of American households making $100,000 or more would agree with this statement. And here's the statement. I can afford to buy everything I need. Only one-third of Americans making $100,000 or more agreed with that. That means that two-thirds of people in America making $100,000 or more still felt like they were poor. So let's just dispel with the I'm not rich part. Okay, Because most of us, if not all of us in this room, would be classified in the world's eyes as wealthy and rich. So this text now has to deal with us. It has to deal with me. I'm standing right in the middle of it as well. And so now as we come to this, uh, we find uh, that uh, we need to deal with what it means to have wealth. Basically what Paul is teaching Timothy is this. Go to the wealthy. Go to the rich and help them understand how to be rich. Help them understand how to be wealthy. Because you see, money isn't evil. The effect of sin on money is evil. Wealth isn't evil. The effect of sin on wealth is what's evil. 
God is saying, I want you to have these things. And as we were talking about in the Sunday school this morning, you realize that in order for God to accomplish his goals in the world today, he needs you. He has hinged the effectiveness on ministry in Haiti to people in Hilton Head Island, South Carolina. Because what he said is this, I have prospered you in such a unique way that the ministry for me to get accomplished in Haiti and the ministries that I want you to accomplish through partnering with the school across the street and the Boys and Girl Club down the street and building some houses over there on Marshland and in the Ridgeland Prison and all of this stuff, all of the things that I want to accomplish of spreading the gospel of my son to a world that desperately needs it is hinged upon your understanding of all the stuff that I've given you. And currently we have a deep and a profound misunderstanding of that stuff. We think it's for us. So that we can somehow look around and say, see, I've got more stuff than you have. Or I've got a similar amount of stuff than you have so I can associate with you. And you can associate with me, but we can't associate with people who have more stuff than we have or less stuff than we have. We use it as a grading scale within humanity. God is saying, no, you see, I've given you all of this stuff, lots and little, so that you'll be freed from all the needs of it, and you'll be able to give it away, and I'll be able to do immeasurably more than you ever asked or imagined because you understand wealth. So now we have to ask the question, what does he want us to do with our wealth? Because you see, we're rich people whether we feel like it or not. It's an interesting thing. People with money get offended when you assume that they have money. Well, why do you think that I have money? I don't know, you live in America? That's a pretty good assumption. You live in Hilton Head, is an even better assumption uh, by that. You actually chose to live in Hilton Head. And, you know, I think about it. If, if you've ever gotten a Coca-Cola out of a Yeti cooler, anybody know what a Yeti cooler is? It's a ridiculously overpriced cooler that will keep your stuff cold for like a year. The tailgate's not that long. The end of the world is not upon us. You don't need a Yeti cooler. Sorry if you're a Yeti stockholder uh, in this thing. It's like $400 for a little bitty cooler in that way. So how do we understand wealth in these things? Well, look what Paul says to Timothy. He says this. You have a responsibility to be good at being rich. You have a responsibility at being good at being rich. You see, in the first century, when the church was beginning to explode on the scene, what was it that was causing people by the thousands and thousands to give their lives to Christ? Do you think it was their well-written theology? Do you think it was their well-articulated ability to express uh, that Uh, the hypostatic union of Jesus Christ, that he's fully man and fully God held together without corruption or confusion? Do you think it was their ability to explain the Trinitarian view that God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, all the same but only one God? Do you think that was it? Or was it the fact that their lives were so radically transformed by the gospel that they were the people who went around And they picked up the discarded babies on the side of the rivers and they brought them into their homes and they loved them and cared for them as their own. They were the ones who stayed around when the plagues hit Rome and many of them died but they stayed and they loved the ones who were left behind because the families and friends of those who had a worldview that was only about this world left and they left their loved ones there to die and the Christians stayed in a radical show 
of generosity and love. That it was the Christians who went in and were willing to go and to die even for their faith. You see, it was the radical nature of their lives. And I'll even challenge myself in saying that word. To them, it wasn't radical. You realize everything that's written in Scripture is just normative? You're not a radical Christian if you live this way. You're just a Christian. Christians are supposed to be generous. Christians are supposed to be willing to lay down their lives for someone else. Christians are supposed to be the ones doing that, not radical Christians. So I'm not asking you to be radical Christians. I'm asking you just to live to the bare minimum of what God's called us to do. He said, look at me. I'm willing to give you my son. I'm holding nothing back from you. I'm giving you everything that I have. And what he wants from us is that we would understand that we would live in such a way and not just talk in such a way that everyone around us would see the truth and the beauty of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And here's what he says to those whom he defines as rich and who we've defined as basically everybody sitting in this room with a few outliers here and there maybe. He says, as for the rich, this is verse 17, as for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. He basically gives six things. You don't have to go to seminary to get these six things. Here they are. He says, do not be haughty. I did a little word study on haughty. You want to know some of the synonyms for haughty? Proud, arrogant, vain, conceited, snobbish, superior, self-important, pompous, uh, supercilious, condescending, and patronizing. You know anybody like that? You think anybody thinks you're like that? He's saying if you're like that because somehow wealth uh, makes us think so that we're pretty important. I love driving over uh, down to Prep or over to the Christian Academy or even over here to, uh, to Hilton Head High, and I love watching all these teenagers drive their cars. I especially love teenagers who drive Mercedes. <laughs> because somehow, uh, or Lexus, or really any car in general, that the teenager somehow takes an incredible amount of pride with that. Hey, I got a Mercedes. What are you driving? Oh, a mule. Okay, that's cool. Look how good I am. I got a Mercedes. You want to go to that kid. How much did you pay for that Mercedes? Now, I'm awesome that your mom and dad are generous and gave you the Mercedes, but you should not feel very proud about the fact that you drive a Mercedes, and you can't look down on anybody else because they don't. But that's something that happens when you gain money and status and wealth. You start to feel important. Look at those words again. This is what he said. Do not be proud, arrogant, vain conceited, snobbish, superior, self-important, pompous, condescending, and patronizing. You know what the antonym to haughty is? Humble. He's basically saying this, first charge wealthy and rich people to be humble. You know what that looks like in your life? It's this. If you have an incredible intellect to understand numbers and you've been able to take those numbers, and or you have an intellect that sees vision, and you can rally people and set a vision and lead them, guess where you got those capabilities? They're not from you. A humble man and a humble woman 
says, I acknowledge that I'm really good at doing this. You don't have to be so self-effacing that you can't say I'm really good at what I do. But you say, I'm really good at what I do because God decided to gift me this way. You know why Matt is really good at, at music and leading worship? Is it because of the genetic pool that he came from? No. It's because God decided, hey, before all the foundation of the world, I'm going to give this young man special gifts and talents in this area of life so that he can be a fantastic musician and he can use that for my kingdom's sake and for uh, these things to happen. And it's an incredible position when you finally go, you know, I am good at what I do. But God gave me all of this stuff. So how can I look at you or you and challenge you to go, you should be more like me? No. No. I'm glad that you're not all with these gifts because nothing would get accomplished if we all had the same gifts. So a person who really understands what they've been given and that their portfolio and that they're, I mean, I had a wonderful doc, uh, professor in economics, Dr. Arnold. Wow, we're about out of time. Dr. Arnold, maybe this will be part A uh, of this sermon and you'll come back next week for part B. Uh, but Dr. Arnold wore short sleeve white shirt, gray, now this was his, he would change it up on us. We never knew where Dr. Arnold was going in the econ prof, uh, professor. He would wear gray pants, but sometimes he'd wear khaki pants. <laughs> he was a rebel. And in uh, the fall of 1987, in October of 1987, something happened in the market back then. It crashed. And just the week before that, Dr. Arnold decided he was going to pull all of his money out of the stock market. And so he pulled every bit of it out of the stock market for some reason. He had no idea. He's like, I'm just going to pull it out of the stock market. And then he put it back in the stock market. Oddly enough, Dr. Arnold retired not very long uh, after 1987. <laughs> Do you think it was because Dr. Arnold knew that something was coming? Or was it just he kind of got lucky? But if you're a Christian and a believer and you understand that God doesn't work with luck or coincidence, maybe you could say this, the fact that I am wealthy and able to retire and have all of this is because God has orchestrated and gifted me in all of these ways. So now everything that I have, I hold with great humility. It's not mine in the first place. How can I take credit for all of this? So therefore, if it's God from the beginning, I'm not going to be haughty, but I'm going to be humble. And then he says, secondly, do not set your hopes on the uncertainty of riches. Don't set your hopes on these things. Don't set your hopes on things that are going to come up and down and crash. Uh, I was just joking. I was with somebody. Uh, we were in a meeting last Wednesday, and a guy I was with, uh, his BlackBerry popped, and it said, oh, the market dropped 84 points. He goes, oh, well, guess what this week happened? The stock market's right back through the roof again. Don't set your hopes on a stock market and indices. Don't set your hope on the fainting things of this world. It says, just put your hope, what does he say? Put your hope in God who richly provides us with what? Everything. Let's say that together. God provides you with what? Everything. To do what with? To enjoy. Isn't that awesome? Everything that you have, he's given to you. And he says, I'm going to provide everything that you need to enjoy in this world. And then he says this third thing. Charge them to not be haughty, but to be humble. Charge them to set their hopes on the true God who's going to provide everything for them so that they can enjoy it. And then thirdly, he says, charge them to do good as defined by God. 
Do good, biblically speaking. Do good that will bring flourishing and shalom and peace to others, that will expand the city of God within the city of man, that will expand the kingdom of God in the world around. He's saying, I want you to release all of your resources for those things so that you can do good and that you can then fourthly be rich in good works, that you're to be abundant in good works, that you're to be generous, the genesis of this series and be ready to share. Be ready to share. So I'd like us today to just come to a few simple conclusions. And the first is this. Let's get rid of a false humility that says, well, I'm not wealthy and rich. We are. We have been blessed more than we should. And if that's the case, then we look at these charges in front of us and say, how is it then that God wants us to use these things? He says, I've given them to you, and I enjoy the fact that you're wealthy because I need to use you for my kingdom's work. I want to use you in the resources that I've given to you so that you can. And I love how he puts it there. He says that thus in verse 19, storing up treasure for themselves as a foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. He's saying this, one of the ways that you know that you fully are committed, that you're not, that's the wrong word, one of the ways that you understand that the kingdom has taken up residency within you is that you become a generous person and you realize that what you're doing, it has eternal consequences. That it's awesome to give to foundations and to set things aside here, but he's saying, I want you to give to causes and means here that are going to have ramifications into eternity itself. And so I want our church to really question those things and I want us to be a church that knows how to be rich really well so what does that look like well we don't have time but if you were to flip over into Luke chapter 3 when John the Baptist was preaching and the people were convicted by him saying that the kingdom is coming and he said what should we do then they said what should we do to to make sure uh, that we have the kingdom of God in our in our in our lives in our hearts what do we need to do what does it need to look like he didn't say go to church he didn't say read your bible he didn't say that he said this if you have two tunics give away one do you want to know whether the kingdom of God has taken up residency in your heart give away one of your tunics 50% give it away that's not meaning you have to give 50% of your stuff he's saying to just be generous in that way then he said this oh and by the way give away your food now that's easy for us to think but in that agrarian culture when jesus prayed give us our daily bread do you know what he meant we only have daily bread because the next day we had to go get bread and the next day and the next day we throw away more meat than an ancient near eastern would have ever seen in a year You are staring into a cupboard today, into a pantry today, that people in Jesus' time would have no idea how to understand. We had a visiting missionary come over from one of the former Eastern Bloc countries to Memphis one time, and he walked into a warehouse, like a Sam's warehouse, and he ran out the front door crying. He said, you have more stuff on your shelves than my people have in their entire country. He was overwhelmed with it. And so Jesus said, giving away, John the Baptist said, give away something that's meaningful to you, your money. And then he said to some other, he said to the tax collectors and to the soldiers, he said, live just and honorable lives. Don't live out a life that you can justify, but live a just life. So here's where we're going to end this today. We have some things in our mind's eye as the leadership of the church 
of where we believe God is taking this church to have an impact in the kingdom of heaven, both here locally and around the world. And we believe that that vision is coming from God. We have a vision that we want to see families uh, who are strengthened and brought together, and those kids have a safe place where they can grow and they can hear the gospel. And we want to be a church that comes together and worships well together, and we want to expand our ability to bring and invite others into our worship facilities. Anybody have trouble parking this morning? Yeah, it's a pain. Um, well, we need some help with that. And, and then we've got folks who want to be able to be around the church and they want to have times to gather and we want to be able to open our facilities to the school. Mondays and Tuesday afternoons, we already do. But if you've ever tried to have a meeting around here, uh, it's not very easy to have a meeting around here, especially on Sunday mornings. And then we actually have, and I haven't identified our youth candidate in our midst today because I want him to see if he's been warmly welcomed. I want him to be a stranger in our midst because if you're not welcoming to strangers, he probably would go, I'm not sure I want to go to that church. But we're talking, we're hiring a youth minister and we're going to build a youth building uh, for our youth so that we can have a place where our youth on the island and in Beaufort, in, um, Beaufort County and Bluffton can grow and we can invite other groups in and we can have a thing for school, after school kids to come over. And then, it's interesting, we're going to hire this guy and you know what? We don't have an office for him. We don't even have a table for him. And sweet Kathy Hyatt, who's here, we love Kathy because she has a mobile table. It's called a folding table. And we move her around for wherever there's no one else around. And so we need some space for that. And so that's going to cost some money to do that. And in the interim time, we have ministries that we want to see expanded. We give away $100,000 or more every year to World Missions. We want to give a lot more than that away. So guess what that means? That means that this church needs to get even more generous. You're incredibly generous. Don't get me wrong. But we need to get even more generous so that we can see the world impacted for Christ. I'd love for us to partner uh, with Andy Stanley's church next year and be a part of Be Rich. I'd love for us to raise a million dollars and give it totally away. I'd love for us to do some of those things and just shock the world around us to go, what do you mean, no strings attached? No, none. Here's some money. Go care for those people you care for better than we can. But we do have volunteers. You need any volunteers to go. So there's all kinds of stuff we can do. I get really excited about this. I get really nervous about it too because it costs a lot of money and I don't do well with talking about money. I'm the kid who I knew when we left church on Sundays growing up that if we turned right, that meant that my dad was going to give me a quarter and we went to the 7-Eleven and I got to get a thing of uh, baseball cards. But if we turned left, there was no quarter. So money is just this weird thing for me. But here's how I view money, guys, and I hope you view it the same way. It's just money. It's commas and zeros. But God can turn commas and zeros into absolutely transformed lives. So let's see how well we can do at being rich today. Let's pray. God, thank you. Thank you for your immeasurable greatness and wealth that you've poured out to us. Father, help us as we wrestle through these truths that we would be a generous church, that we would be a people known not for where we live or what we drive, but for how awesome our church performs in the world around to give away the stuff that we have so that other lives could be blessed and flourish. Thank you for your love for us. And would you take our lives and let them be consecrated, Lord, to thee. As we pray in your name, amen. Let's stand and sing this last song.